the Slaughter in May podcast. Hi, I'm Jessica Staples. I'm Sarah Jackson. I'm Poppy Smith. And I'm Rosalind Kenward. And we're from the Competition and Regulatory Group at Slaughter in May. Every time we turn on the radio or the TV at the moment, all we hear about is COVID-19. But we don't hear too much about how individual sectors are responding to the chaos caused by the virus. So over the next 15 minutes or so, what we want to discuss with you is the steps that are being taken in the regulated UK energy, water and communication sectors to respond to the coronavirus. Sarah, Poppy and I will be discussing steps being taken to help consumers and utility suppliers. And Rosalind is then going to share some thoughts about how the virus has affected regulatory priorities going forward. So Sarah, let's start off with consumers. What steps are being taken in these sectors to protect them? Thanks, Jessica. The government and suppliers have been taking steps to protect consumers who may be struggling to pay their utility bills during the pandemic. Principles to support energy consumers have been agreed to by domestic energy supply companies and the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Consumers with prepayment meters who may not be able to add credit themselves can now speak to their suppliers about the options that they have available. Consumers can also have their debt repayments or account payments reassessed, reduced or paused, and the disconnection of credit meters has been completely suspended, other than in cases of theft, safety and vacant properties. It's good to hear that the government is being proactive about this. But are individual suppliers doing anything to help? Yes, individual energy suppliers are also extending a helping hand. Ovo Energy, for example, has unveiled a hardship fund to assist consumers who are struggling to meet their financial obligations due to the pandemic. Challenger brand Igloo Energy has also announced a price drop of 30% for its gas customers. A significant reduction in industrial demand has resulted in a lowering of wholesale gas prices. And this has allowed Eglu and other energy suppliers to pass on this cost saving to consumers. In addition to energy suppliers, many internet service and mobile providers like Vodafone, Virgin Media and Sky have made a number of commitments after discussions with the Digital Secretary and the UK's telecommunications regulator Ofcom. All providers have agreed to work with consumers who are finding it difficult to pay their bills and will remove all data allowance caps on fixed broadband services. You've been focusing quite a bit on what's being done to help individuals. But what about business customers? Are they also being protected? Yes, that's a good question, Jessica. The UK water regulator Ofwat has made amendments to its Consumer Protection Code of Practice for non-household customers. Until the end of May, retailers cannot collect amounts owed by non-household customers or request disconnections for the non-payment of charges. Late payment charges cannot currently be enforced. So does that mean that these customers just don't have to pay their bills? No, unfortunately not. Non-household customers should not use this as an excuse to avoid paying their water bill. Afwat has made it clear that business customers who are able to pay their water bills should do so. Once the prohibitions set out by Afwat have been lifted, retailers will be able to enforce their contractual rights to payment as normal. So while it's clearly important and necessary that consumers, particularly vulnerable ones, are protected during these times, that does potentially leave suppliers exposed. Jessica, is anything being done to protect them? Across energy, water and communications, we are starting to see supplier relief converging around two key issues, the enforcement of regulatory obligations and financial support. So I wanted to talk a little bit first about um, the enforcement of regulatory obligations. And the good news here 
is that regulators in energy, water and communications have all signalled that they are willing to be pragmatic and flexible because they recognise the difficulties that suppliers are facing. But what exactly does this mean? So for energy suppliers, the UK energy regulator Ofgem has written open letters to network companies and retail suppliers. And in these letters, Ofgem does give guidance about which works are high priority and which ones are lower priority and can be paused. For electricity or gas providers who are concerned about meeting the performance targets under the Rio 1 incentive scheme because of COVID-19, there is also good news there. Ofgem's promised to provide relief from these penalties. And other energy authorities have also confirmed they're going to be taking a more pragmatic approach to compliance over the next few months. This includes the Oil and Gas Authority. And in Northern Ireland, the utility regulator has indicated it'll be keeping an eye on the impact of COVID-19 on suppliers and network companies. We've also heard that the government is consulting on relaxing the capacity market rules. And what about in the water and communication sector? I believe Ofcom has been quite active in recent months. So we have had similar messages from Ofwat and Ofcom. Both authorities have indicated that they will be a little bit more flexible and take the circumstances at the moment into account when enforcing. But you are right, Ofcom is still actively enforcing in broadcasting although it's focusing its efforts on conduct that could harm audiences, so spreading misinformation about COVID-19, for example. And we've seen a few cases of this already. ESTV was sanctioned recently after an interview where the speaker cast doubt on the motives behind the official coronavirus advice. And in this case, the speaker actually went so far as to suggest that a cult was using coronavirus to establish a global authoritarian state. The other issue you mentioned was financial support. Right. If consumers aren't paying, clearly this leaves suppliers short. We've heard concerns from many suppliers about their financial situation. In the energy sector, government hasn't actually announced a loan scheme, although the electricity and gas trade body did approach the government and ask for this. Bayes, however, pointed suppliers instead in the direction of the loan package that's already available to all British businesses. And another option, though, which some suppliers are now calling for, is for government to review the retail price cap. So this cap includes a small portion to cover bad debt, and this could be increased. That's an interesting solution. But would that give suppliers relief now? No, that's the downside. Plus, it could put an additional burden on consumers who may just end up paying more to cover the increased cap. And in water, there are also measures being taken there. Retailers can now opt into deferred wholesale arrangements, which are expected to last until about the end of July. And what this means is that wholesalers will continue to invoice retail suppliers for all of the charges that are due, but retail suppliers will only have to pay a portion of this. And wholesalers will continue to be able to charge interest on these deferred payments. That makes sense. But surely this could lead to high levels of bad debt. It could, but that's why Offworks introduced a cap on water reseller exposure to bad debt. And they have also said that they'll be keeping an eye on levels of bad debt for retail suppliers. So I think the key takeaway is that these unusual times have required our regulators to be a little bit more flexible about the standards to which they usually hold suppliers accountable. But another area where they have had to re-examine their approach in recent months is collaboration between competing suppliers. Poppy, can you tell us about the approach regulators are likely to take to competitor collaboration in the next few months? Yes, certainly. So early on in the pandemic, the CMA, that's the UK Competition Authority, said that it was conscious that businesses might be worried that competition law enforcement could hold back cooperation that might be necessary to deal with the crisis. 
So things like making sure that products are still on the shelves and essential services can still be delivered, things like that. Even if they have a legitimate purpose, collaborations between competitors can often raise serious competition issues. The most common being the need to exchange confidential information to actually make the collaboration work. Competition law, of course, prohibits collusion between competitors. We know that. Things like price fixing and market sharing are obvious examples. But when it comes to sharing information, the dividing line between anti-competitive information exchange and legitimate cooperation can sometimes be a grey area. And the penalties for these types of infringements? They can be quite substantial, can't they? Yes, of course, that's right. It goes without saying that breaching competition law can have very serious consequences. Potential fines are up to 10% of worldwide turnover. There's a risk of being sued for damages. And in the UK, there's also a risk of company directors being disqualified. But UK and EU competition law, like lots of other jurisdictions around the world, does exempt some agreements between competitors where the benefits to consumers outweigh the negative effects on competition. So at the end of March, the CMA said that it won't take action against coordination between competitors during the pandemic, provided that firstly, it doesn't go further or last longer than what is strictly necessary to ensure security of supply or avoid shortages. And secondly, provided that it is clearly in the public interest and for the benefit of consumers. Seems pretty clear to me that cooperation that's aimed at continuing supplies of energy, water, telecoms and broadband would meet that test. And we've seen those same reassuring messages at the European Commission level as well. Okay, but what does this actually mean in practice? Surely this isn't a free pass for anti-competitive behaviour? No, definitely not. The CMA and the Commission have been very clear that they won't tolerate the pandemic being used as a cover for collusion that isn't necessary for the crisis response. The energy, water and telecoms regulators haven't formally responded to the CMA's guidance on competitive collaborations, but we would expect them to take a similarly pragmatic approach, just as they have been in other areas. Sarah mentioned earlier that domestic energy suppliers in the UK have worked together with the government to agree how to support vulnerable customers, and Ofwat has been supportive of water companies cooperating to achieve legitimate objectives in other areas, in non-COVID-19 contexts. A good example of that are its recent price control decisions, in which it allowed nearly £500 million for collaboration between water companies to improve drought response. So given this guidance, Poppy, what would your advice be to those businesses in regulated sectors that are looking to cross-company cooperation to keep the lights on? Well, first, getting together with competitors to agree best practices for a crisis response does seem low risk from a competition perspective. But if you're going further and planning cooperation initiatives, they must be limited only to what is strictly necessary. Second, if you're pooling resources into providing shared services, make sure that any charges for those services are reasonable and that excessive costs aren't being passed on to customers. And then finally, remember that relying on a government recommendation or the support of the regulator does mitigate the competition law risk, but it doesn't take it away altogether. In cases of very serious doubt, the CMA has set up a COVID-19 task force, which may be willing to provide informal comfort on draft proposals. The government can even grant formal dispensations if there are exceptional policy reasons why the competition rules shouldn't apply. It was those exceptional powers that the government relied on in mid-March to temporarily relax the rules for supermarkets so that they could work together to keep food on the shelves and the shops open. As well as supermarkets, it's also used them to allow cooperation between the NHS and private healthcare providers and even between Isle of Wight ferry operators. If you are considering cooperation with competitors, 
the first step should of course be to seek legal advice before exchanging any information or kicking off any cooperation arrangements to avoid inadvertently breaching the law. Thanks, Poppy. It seems really positive that regulators are being a bit more flexible in allowing vital cooperation. But what about those projects that were in the pipeline before the lockdown started? Rosalind, have those all been put on hold? Can you tell us a little bit about what regulators' forward planning looks like at the moment? Well, Jess, we know that many regulators are now reconsidering their future work plans. And what I think is at front of mind is making sure that energies are focused on projects that will protect vulnerable consumers and make sure there's security of supply in these uncertain times. So this means that things like planned price control reviews are going ahead, but other items have been put on ice. And we could take an example like energy. So here, uh, last month, Ofgem published some guidance on the impact COVID-19 has had on its near-term plans. Like I just said, as far as price controls are concerned, it's business as usual. Ofgem will still be publishing its new Rio2 network price controls by the end of 2020, and they'll apply from the 1st of April next year. That said, social distancing rules in the UK mean there won't be any public open hearings ahead of those determinations. Ofgem is also busy working on consultations on price controls for transmission, gas distribution and electricity distribution, which we're expecting to see coming out in July. On the flip side, though, lots of other initiatives are being postponed, one of which is the flagship smart meter rollout. On this, the regulator has given suppliers the green light to deprioritise any non-essential installations, even though those suppliers are currently obligated to take all reasonable steps to deliver those installations by the end of the year for their domestic and small business customers. You might also look at the oil and gas sector, where the Oil and Gas Authority has postponed publishing its review of the industry's compliance with regulatory obligations, but it does still expect to offer the 30-second offshore licensing round awards in the summer of this year as planned. Okay, and are there other examples of regulators who are still pushing forward with their existing plans? Yes, in water, the headline is that it appears to be business as usual for Ofwat. The regulator has recognised the effects that COVID-19 might have on water companies, but it has still said that it expects suppliers to submit their annual performance reports by the 15th of July, as well as their data submissions, to feed into the next price control review. It's invited suppliers to contact it to discuss a way forward if they think COVID-19 will get in the way of them being able to submit those documents on time. Rosalind, the press has recently been reporting a lot on the 5G auctions in the UK. Are those still going ahead? That does seem to be a hot topic. And it's true that at the end of April, Ofcom issued a new work plan for 2020 and 2021, delaying the date of the upcoming 5G auction. This decision was apparently driven by a desire to ensure the personal safety of those involved in the auction, but also to safeguard the security and resilience of the auction process itself. Importantly, though, the auction is still happening, just on a slower timeline, and it's now been confirmed that the earliest bidding could start is November this year, assuming there is no litigation of Ofcom's final auction decision. More broadly, Ofcom is keeping things under review and has promised to publish an updated work plan for 2020 and 2021 in September. So a bit like all of us, it's waiting to see what the next few months of the pandemic hold, and more detail on timing for postponed projects will become clearer then. Thanks, Rosalind. It will be very interesting to see what the next few months bring. A few concluding thoughts as we wrap up. 
suppliers have clearly had to adapt their business to ensure they can continue to deliver essential services, and in particular deliver these to vulnerable consumers, as Sarah has explained to us. But this means regulators have also had to be more pragmatic when it comes to enforcement. This also applies to competitor collaboration. As Poppy has discussed, the European Commission and the CMA have indicated that collaboration may be acceptable where it doesn't go further than what is needed to combat the virus. But despite all of this, as a provider of energy, water or communications services at the moment, it can be difficult to see what the path forward is. For example, what type of collaboration is likely to be acceptable? And which regulatory obligations is it okay to put on ice? As Rosalind's explained, some priorities are in pause, but others are going ahead. The important thing is that regulators have indicated they are willing to have frank discussions, so this is going to be key to resolving questions like this. If you would like to know more about any of the issues we've spoken about today, or are considering having a conversation with a regulator about one of these topics, please feel free to reach out to any of us or your usual slaughter in May contact. For more information on this topic, or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.